anybody here Bob Dylan? Can be a parent of a certain generation. <laughs> okay, come gather around people wherever you roam. Admit that the waters around you have grown. Accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving and you better start swimming. This is not a prophecy of baptism or you'll sink like a stone. And how's that line finish? For the times, they are changing. I want to talk about changing times and seasons. Turn in your Bible, if you can, uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I was going to do a Bob Dylan impression, but only as four people put their hand up to that. It was just going to be lost on everybody else, isn't it? For everything, there is a season. There is a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh. There is a time to grieve and a time to dance. There is a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. There is a time to embrace a time and time to turn away. There's a time to search. There's a time to stop searching. There's a time to keep. There's a time to throw away. There is a time to tear there's a time to mend. There's a time to be quiet. There's a time to speak. There's a time to love. There's a time to hate. There's a time for war. And there is a time for peace. I want to realize that all of I want to help you understand that whatever you go through in life, all of us will be accustomed to the changing of the seasons. Things change. Life changes. And this passage in itself helps us to understand that there's a time and season to everything. And just kind of first and foremost, God understands the time and the season that you're in right now. You know, for me, when I look at that, you know, because you've got time to born and a time to die, you know, and actually, but what most concerns me is not so much the birth bit or even the death bit, but the bit in the middle. Whoever worries about more about the corridor between being born and dying, there's that gap in the middle. Is it going to be a sudden moment that I move out the corridor of life into the, the door of death? Is that going to be something, or is it going to be an incremental journey as I get ready to that? And I kind of want to picture, if I can, for those seasons, that there's these two extremes. But really, most of us walk around our life in corridors between those two. I want to introduce a concept that it's not always sudden change. Some things are sudden changes. But other things are incremental changes that actually we get into that spaces between those two points. When do we know when we should be planting? When should we, we be harvesting? What are we harvesting? What are we sowing in our life? And actually, all of us are just looking at the concept of life and going, things are changing in me. The church is changing. We look at Hannah and Gareth. You know, they're just kind of serving and have served us for, for many, many years. And, and suddenly, as we, as we kind of teach the Word of God, suddenly starts to put seeds of movement in them. And suddenly say, we feel God, I mean, Gareth's story, has always got a heart for Wales. I've always known that, and, and yet faithfully served that. And as he's got older and older, this, this kind of whole feeling of saying, God is moving to me, the land in which I was born. You know, and he feels that stir, and then they, they come and they start to tell the story, and everything changes. Did you know their changes, by the way, affect you? What, what's going to happen now? 
Isn't it? You know, in church, there's, there's always that kind of weird thought of doom, isn't it? The world is going to end. That when, when Hannah and Gareth leave the church, oh, Aaron, have you thought about it? <laughs> no, no, no. I just kind of, oh, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Hannah and Gareth got incredible character and grace way before anybody else knew to sit with us and say, can we just talk about this? Because we understand this may have transition for others. Right, that's wisdom. And I, I want to pull you, there's an incredible scripture, if I can, which is found in Ecclesiastes that follows this passage in chapter 8, verse 5. If you grab hold of this, this will help you through seasons of change. It says this, The wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. So wisdom is the application of knowledge. There cannot be wisdom if there is no application you understand? We have a whole culture that we think wisdom is found within the context of the old. It's not actually true. Wisdom is found in the context of the old who do what is required. Well, if you stop doing knowledge, you are not wise. Because there's something about the application. And so if we've got to find the right time, the right season to go, I know what corridor I'm in right now. There's a tribe in the Old Testament called the men of Issachar. It said they understood the times and they knew what to do. We should be a church that understands the times and knows what to do. You should be a person in God if you're going to be wise to go, I know what the time and I know what the season and I know the calling on our life. Debbie, are you in? Wave at me, Debbie. Just kind of every, let's just embarrass Debbie because we like to do this a lot, isn't it? You go, well, I've never met Debbie before. Those who've been in church long enough. She was one of our young people that's grown through and is now gone through university. She's just finishing university. I was talking to her yesterday at a wedding. She's in Change City. Everything is changing. You know, she's been brought up in Devon, and she's now living in London. They're quite different places, by the way, if, you know, isn't it? Now, there's not many green field sites, you know, in London. She was kind of so busy, you know. And I, I thought, tell us what you're doing. She's got, she's starting, she's finished her PGCE. She's got a new job as a teacher in London. That's, that's as good as it. She's got a boyfriend. He's a doctor. Always <laughs> training. Things change. As a church, you're praying for me and Rachel because our youngest son, who has severe special needs, has hit that 18. And he's like, lots of decisions are being made about him when we're not even in the room. You know, we just have to kind of hopefully influence reports that's going about his long term care. That's a massive change for us. We don't know how that change is going to work out. We're looking at it in this corridor, think things are changing. How do we respond to that? Let me tell you one thing in constant in your life is things change. Everything changes, by the way. I'm sure that Rachel has probably said it. If not, she'll say it sometime soon. And she'll say, you're not the man I married. No, of course I'm not. I'm three stone heavier. <laughs> My hair is slightly lighter. I don't have the same salary when I'm married, isn't it? You understand things do change. Let me tell you, successful relationships are not ones that stay the same, but they embrace the changes of life. They understand that we change. They move with the changes, you know. And so there are positive changes in life. There's negative changes. Right? You know the difference between because of the way they feel, isn't it? Yeah, some of you go, oh, this is exciting. There's good changes. There's bad changes. There's significant changes. 
and there's small changes. Some of you freak out at small changes, don't you? Is that right? You know, when they change the, the, the kind of the Snickers bar to marathon. I mean, what were they doing? Isn't it? What's going to happen? If it's like, right, they, they change our, our cleaning products from, from Jif to Sif. What is that? What is all of the, you know, how do we cope that out? Have you noticed when somebody kind of brings a minor change, we go into like panic and we go around because different things change in life. There's problematic change. I was okay here until you happened. I was okay till my manager called me in this morning. I was okay till I opened my newspaper. And, and, and often we'll bump into changes that bring problems through us. And we're like, ah, we go running around. There's negative changes. We, we struggle. There's really key things. I, I, I want to give an illustration here. I'm aware this may relate to some people. It's not intended, but I want you to grasp. If it doesn't relate, it's all about the concept of change. But help us think. Say your elderly mother is put into a nursing home. Just, just that, that is really resonant to someone. I do know that. It leaves your dad alone at home. You live 120 miles away, and your younger, unmarried brother lives in the same town. Who knows there's all, all sorts of changes going around that criteria. Can you see the problems that arise from that? There's a conflict. Who's going to be time traveling back and forth, the decision whether to bring dad in with you and with the kids or a nursing home? That, that's a massive change and transition for those who have to face that. There's a, there's a broken routine of regular worship where you, you could control coming into church and suddenly you have to travel to do that. There's a conflict over financial responsibility. Who understands that sometimes one thing changes everything? Isn't it? You know, it's like some of us kind of go, oh, I'm good with change until a change happens that you do not like and it was imposed upon you. You know, there's a change that you choose, there's a change that's imposed upon you. Suddenly we'll go, whoa! Problematic change. So there's positive changes. You're, you're, you're rewarded and you're given a new job in a new city. You'd think you'd be happy for that, wouldn't you? But a new job, new opportunity, your wife, your partner suddenly misses her parents. Suddenly things have changed as you've moved to this new area, a new school issue. The church you go to has less people and the programs are different to your old one. It's different. What will be the, some of the issues here? There's more arguments, there's stress of failure, children's school. Sometimes change affects our intimacy within the context of our relationships. And that's from a good change. It's interesting, so a good change can often end up in a negative change, because there's a whole ladder of process. Who's understanding kind of this type of thing? Are we all here? Because I think when I wrote this, guide, this kind of pulls everybody in. You know, new situations to get used to, new problems to solve. How do we do that as Christians? So first, before we go into it, just ask yourself, what are the changes that you're facing? New education, new learning, declining health. Could be yours? could be a family member. You're moving house, you're moving location. It could be your first or subsequent marriage. It could be a breakup of a marriage. It could be a new baby or a new job or retirement. It could be a failure. It could be new responsibility. It could be any of those things. It's important that you understand this message plugs straight into where you are because where you are is different to where I am because we're all facing uniquely different changes. And changes are difficult. We need to learn to cope with change. Did you know, the older you are in this room, the more change have you experienced. 
Maturity actually means your face changes and you've adopted well. That's what maturity actually is. You know, when changes happen, you think, oh, gee, my life is bad. God doesn't like me anymore. Actually, it's about a test of your character that you will get through this. You will grow this. You can respond to this and come out better. Who wants to come through the changes better? Everyone, the rest of you, I think are just a little bit hesitant on going putting my hand up because nobody wants to go, oh, yeah, I want to go through this change and come out worse. Because we, we want to get through what we are facing. Now, the Bible is really helpful. The reason I read the Bible because it's full of not just of God's inspiration for life. It has spiritual mentors, role models in this of people who go through change. Right? There are huge amounts of people in this book who've handled change. I find it useful watching other people go through change and going, well, do you know what? If they can do it, so can I. That's what the Bible does. The whole Bible, kind of when I read it, is Aaron, is you can do it, Aaron. So Abraham, key figure in the Bible, yes? Father of the faith suddenly is in his life and he hears the voice of God. He's on a beach in a godless nation and suddenly the message comes, I want you to leave your family. I want you to go to a place that you've never seen because it's going to be great, isn't it? What I love about this, right? the reason about Abraham is he has obedience to move into an unknown territory. He has a confidence in something that promotes him and moves him into something new. And it's worth asking the question, what is that confidence? Do you think he was just a risk-averse type of guy? Because most of us, when it comes to family, particularly in the Jewish culture, aren't. Family is everything. But God says, move your family. I'm going to build something new out of you. So he packs all his belongings and he moves to an area he doesn't know. This is simply this, because he has a bigger trust in God than he does in his natural possessions. He has a bigger trust in God than even his family. He understands that he believes in the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he backs his future into that God. Now there is where we need to learn what Abraham did. As a result of that, the Bible calls Abraham the father of faith which means he was the first one to breed into us a spirit, a new generation of faith that we can move when God speaks because God's word is more solid, more foundation than anything that this world will give you. I can tell you that's true because I, I used to be a police officer living in just underneath Cambridge and there I used to do my shifts and I felt the word of God say, you need to move where you are, right? And God was specific enough to give me a, a text in the Bible that says this, the place where you, are too for, where you are right now is too small for you. Go down to the riverside and build there. Right? It's ironic because I didn't know there was a church called Riverside until I came on holiday one day. And this is 18 years ago, just a few years. And Nathan was a baby in arms and he was noisy in the service. I took him out. I looked down the river and God said, do you remember that scripture I gave you just a few months ago? So faith moves locations. Handed my notice in. In the police. Transferred down to Devon Connell, which spoke to Rachel. I said to God, right? I, this is how I talk to God, and forgive me if it's offensive to your God. We're still on the process. I said, God, if this is true, if this is your word, you're going to have to convince Rachel because I don't think I'm that good. <laughs> I 
I'm married to a woman as her own mind, and I love that about her. I love her independence. I love that she can rationalize thought and process God in her own way, because if we can't decide, there's never a moment when I would say, woman, do what I say. Well, I'd like to imagine that moment, but it would probably end (laughs) in severe injury. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying here? We have a unique responsibility personally before God. First and foremost, our personal relationship with God is the most important relationship that you can ever keep. Do not use your partner as an excuse for your relationship with God. You will have a great, brilliant partnership relationship marriage if God is first and God is number one. And then Elijah. If you read the story of Elijah, his times change radically. All the way through, you know, he moves environment. And, you know, somewhere, I wish I had the power of Elijah where God says, Aaron, I just want you to stop the rain. I would do that right now. Maybe God doesn't trust me enough like he did Elijah. So Elijah prophesies over that, and there's three years of drought. And he moves around. He moves into this widow's house who hasn't got a son. He prays God provides for a new. And, and, and there's, there's life implanted in her. And she, her and her husband, they have a son because of the miraculous intervention. And he moves on to the brook Cherith in the drought. While everybody else is struggling for water, God puts him by this little stream and, and gets the birds to feed him. I, I, you must be hungry to take food out of a raven's mouth, surely, because I'm not sure raven's mouths are the most clean places in that. But he does that. God provides for them. He's on the top of Mount Carmel in front of the whole nation having a WWF fight final between God and the devil. And he says, God is going to win this. God is going to... I can't use that phrase. God is just going to win. All right. And then in the moment that, the queen just puts on a death warrant over his life. And, and you know, this man of God, this mild, powerful, victorious man suddenly panics. And he goes on the run and he goes into hiding and he ends up in the wilderness. How many of you have gone from a place of confidence to a place of no confidence in yourself? Anybody experienced that? I have. I love this because there he has this angelic visitation in the wilderness in his low confidence and he has this spiritual encounter. He says, get up, eat, because I'm taking you on a journey. All of our life is a journey of change and God sustains him through that transition into that new place and puts him in a cave. Anybody know what the cave feels like when nobody else has seen your gift? And you're ignored. You maybe have been at high point, suddenly you're in this cave, but God says, I see you. Right, it goes like this in the story if you want to read it. Earthquake, fire, <laughs> wind. It's like a Pentecostal church service all rolled into one, isn't it? If, you, if you're used to a more traditional type of service, your hair is just kind of blowing back and going. We, we met a guy on the fun day uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, he, he's Roman Catholic. He's kind of come to your church. And he comes in and sits with Pavel, sits down. And I managed to catch him halfway through the worship. He goes, hey, Aaron, eat like rock concert. Like <laughs> he says, yes, yes, the God is our rock. Yes, sir, Pavel, that is uh, Silence in the still small voice. God speaks to Elijah. Even during time of transition. Biggest change of all is when the angel appears to Mary. He says, Mary, I want you to carry the Son of God to be born into the flesh. Just see female teenagers. Imagine if suddenly you had that revelation. Imagine going to tell your mum and dad that one. 
Think of that emotionally, what that would do to us. Think of relationally, what that does to that. Think of rela- uh, reputationally, what that was doing. That's a huge change. Let me tell you, the word of God in your life has the capacity to bring huge change in your life. And the question that you'll have to ask yourself in those moments is, do I trust the word of God more than I trust my feelings or my emotion or even the family around it? Because the one thing I know is when God starts to move in our life, things change. And God wants to move us from a one static place to a new place. The children of Israel, you know, when they were going through the wilderness, God promised his presence. But that presence looked like a cloud by day and a fire by night. And let me tell you, it moved. Theologically, just to speak to the theologians, God is everywhere. I can never get away from God's presence. That is true. But God says, I'm also over here, I may be everywhere, but you're not where I want you to be. And if you don't start listening to me right now, I'm going to pull you, I'm going to drag you, I'm going to get your attention because I need to keep you moving. God's plan was not to leave the children of Israel in the wilderness because there they would have died. He's taking them to the land, which he started for the man of change, Abraham. You're in the process of change. You're in the journey of change. We have a counselor in the church uh, who's exceptional. And uh, I can only speak so highly. I went into the office and I often talk for how the message applies from a counseling perspective. And it's really helpful because, and just by chance, right, on her desk, literally on the table, she said, have you seen this book? It's called Who Moved My Cheese? She didn't know, but I would already been reading this as part of my study. <laughs> right, Who Moved My Cheese? And, and I kind of want to get it because it just sets a little bit of a tone. And um, who loved Kevin's story last week? Didn't you want to sit down? So yeah, it was lovely, Kevin. You did a great job. Thanks, Grandad. <laughs> just to give you context, there's two, there's four characters, two mice, um, who just who are called Sniff and Scurry, and two people, humans in the story called Hem and Hall, right? Just to let you know, that helps you as I read. I'm not gonna read the whole book, by the way, I'm just gonna give a little bit of flavour. And if you're good, children. I might finish it during the series as we go. Is that all right? Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. So once upon a time, there lived four little friends named Sniff, Scurry, who were the mice, and Hem and Haw. And every morning, they put on their running shoes and got ready to look for what made them happy. So cheese was special because what made them happy was cheese. And it was special because when you found it, it made you feel good about yourself. Who likes cheese and it makes you feel good about themselves? It was hidden somewhere in the big maze and there were many different places to go. So Sniff and Scurry the Mice were very smart. They always remembered where they'd been before. They kept exploring new places where the cheese might be. Sniff had a great nose. He could sniff in the air and smell where the cheese was. Scurry had fast feet. He could scurry ahead and get to the cheese quickly. Hem and Hall were also smart. They read books, studied maps, to find the cheese. Let's try going this way, Hall would say. Hmm, I'm not so sure, Hem would answer. Hem and Hall did not want to get lost in any dark corners, so they went through the maze slowly, one at a time. Hence the maze. Day after day, the four friends searched for the large maze to find the cheese. They went to dark areas, dead ends. They turned around. They head off in a new direction. All of a sudden, one day it happened. The four friends found something wonderful. What do you think it was? Cheese Station C. 
Inside one of the little rooms, they found Tuesday Station C. It had been there all the time, just waiting for someone to find it. Whoopee! cried Hall. Hooray! yelled Sniff and Scurry. Hem shouted, There's enough here for us all to last forever. Sniff liked the orange slices. They smelled nice. Scurry nibbled on the hard yellow cubes of cheese. Hem liked the kind with holes in it. And Hall enjoyed the soft white cheese shaped like a wheel. Each began to imagine what the magical cheese could bring them. Sniff pictured himself with new friends at Blue Cheese Park playing football. Scurry imagined him scoring the winning goal in cheese soccer. Hall saw himself getting good grades at Bree Elementary School. <laughs> and Hem dreamed he lived in a great home atop a Swiss cheese hill. Later, as night fell, they all headed towards their houses. Next morning, Sniff and Scurry woke up early and laced their running shoes. They raced through the maze straight to Cheese Station C. When they got there, Sniff smelled the cheese to see if it was still fresh, and Scurry measured to see how much was it left, and when they were satisfied, there was enough cheese for another day. Took off their running shoes, hung around the neck so they could find them quickly if they ever needed them again. Sniff and Scurry settled in and began to in. Later and later, they're probably teenagers, we already knew where the cheese is, Hemphor. I do not need to hurry. Hall yawned. <sighs> it's comfortable in my bed. I'll just sleep a little bit more. So when Hem and Hall finally arrived at Cheese Station C, they made themselves at home. They built a cheese chair to relax in, and Hem wrote on the wall, having cheese makes you happy. Day after day, Sniff and Scurry got up early. They scurried to the Cheese Station C and made the cheese to see what was happening. But Hem and Hall slept later and later. They did not pay much attention to the cheese. They just expected it to always be there. But can you see what's happening to the cheese? It's all gone. One morning, Sniff and Scurry arrived early at Cheese Station to see to find that the cheese was gone. They were not completely surprised because they noticed that the supply of cheese had been getting smaller. They knew that they were going to go back into the maze to look for new cheese. I bet it will be just as good as the old cheese, said Scurry. Even better, said Sniff. He squealed, the new cheese will be better. Much later, Hem and Hall arrived at empty cheese station C. They looked around. They could not believe their eyes. Hem yelled, what? No cheese? No cheese? Who moved my cheese? Hem got very angry. He thought the cheese would always be his and something he deserved to have no matter what. He jumped up and down shouting, it's not fair. And Hoare was just as disappointed. He didn't yell. He didn't stamp his feet. He stood perfectly still like a statue. He did not know what to do. He was shocked. It's a poor end to the story, but it's only halfway through of that thing. <laughs> But it illustrates the life that actually that place where we draw cheese from is our point. And when things start to deteriorate and get smaller and we get comfortable, things change. Because all of us face change. And we didn't expect that. But actually, if we think, if we ever stopped and reflected and we smelt the cheese in our life, sometimes we realize things are getting stale. 
Things are getting smaller. Our resources are dropping down. But we are like Hammond Hall. We camp around those areas of our life going, I, I want to stop. I love the fact it's too mice because you've got this spirit of exploration. Is It doesn't matter what our resources are today. We're going to always look for new resources. We're going to look for new opportunities. We're going to know where our resources found, but we're going to go searching. We're going to go hunting. I think that's called faith. I think that's got life. Churches and traditions are often formed and founded that we get to what we like and then we stop and we stay and we think, we have arrived, God. Not noticing that our cheese supply is going. Have you ever noticed if you have a prayer discipline that where you pray today will not keep you for the way you pray in the future? Have you ever noticed it's changed? I, I, I don't want to knock faithful discipline praying, but sometimes we get into a static place And actually, sometimes it's a lonely place because we go, this is where I meet God, and I meet God in this way because it speaks to me. And God says, oh, Aaron, hi, I'm over here. What do you mean? I'm down by the river. You're going to love it over here. Why don't you leave your summer house as nice as it is? Why don't you come and meet me by the river? Why? Why? I don't know. Why? Have you noticed we get stuck in ruts? In fact, what happens is what, what was good yesterday gets smaller and smaller and the cheese supplies start to go. I want us to firstly understand our two points that bring this to a close. is simple this. The changes in your life, they're not as big as you think they are. All right, just, just to let you know. There is something bigger going on. When the doctor gives you a prognosis or examination. It's one of those cheese moments. <sighs> what am I going to do? It really is really, it affects you. And so you realize that God has got a higher plan. Anybody ever found that through our suffering, God speaks to others? I hate it, but I love it. Part of some of our challenges that we go through life it's having this perspective. It's not as bad as you And God says, I want to take you on in your journey because I'm going to make you stronger. Look at Alex. What, what his story, his journey, the pain for him, the pain for her. What, what, what is God doing in there? He says, I've got something bigger. I love God because he's just like, he just knocks. I'm over here. He's moving you. We limit the moving of God down to what? Well, that means I've got to move church. I've got to move job. It's not at all. We move to where God is. That's where you're moving to. You need to understand that. If God is not in that other church that you're thinking to go, it's the wrong move. If God is not in that other job where you're looking at, it is the wrong move. It is only in the right move if God is there. Because God knows the end from the beginning. Who's ever decided to go their own way? Who thinks they know better than God at times in their life? Well, you are so better than I am. I am not worthy to lead you. <laughs> I sometimes, in my arrogance, think I'm no better than God. I have a gracious God who still doesn't go, wow, on your own, Aaron. He still says, but I'm over here, though. Change is not as bad as you think. And number two, we need to entrust our changes to God. I am the Lord. I change not. Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The wise man, 
built his house upon the rock. Foolish man built his house upon change. Instable things. The only thing that is rock solid is God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who created the heavens and the earth, who knows the end from the beginning, the Alpha, the Omega, and every little bit in between. The only constant in your life is the name of God, it is Christ Jesus. We as a church, in times of position of chain and transition, are being asked to foundation ourselves not on a denomination, not on a style of worship. Not on any particular leader over another. We are built to build our life upon Jesus Christ. As Julie says, it is Jesus who brings freedom. It is not Aaron. It is not Rachel. It is not Hannah. It is not Gareth. It is not Claire. It is Christ Jesus. And we live to him. Ben, can you come up? Because I just want to pray. There's a great song we're going to finish. Because I want just to leave on a pause, by the way. Because I want you to start ruminating this for the week. Because we're coming back. Uh, and next week, we're going to cover how you respond to change. Uh, and I want you to think about it. You know, so what do I do when change happens? And um, be harsh on yourself a little bit, all right? Don't go for the right answers. Go, oh, I'm great with it. Just go and, just, it'll help next week because we're going to look at how we can navigate you for going through changes. Can we all stand and I'll pray? One thing remains, is that okay? Just close your spirit and just cut. Well, not close your spirit, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Sounds all right, isn't it? Set <laughs> yourself down and just have a bit of peace just in this moment, just so I can speak to you. Just close your eyes. That's what I meant. And just look at the transitions and the changes that you're in. And almost there in one hand, but in your other hand, you've got the option to do and just invite God to connect with those changes. And now whether that's imagination or a prayer of words, you say, God, I want to build my life upon Jesus Christ, who is the sure foundation. Words you might want to say, I don't understand what I'm going through. I feel the emotion, I feel the change but I'm drawn to the unchanging God of eternity. And here I choose today to build my life upon. If you do not feel worthy of that, you just need to say, God, I'm sorry for walking away from you. I've done stuff that perhaps hasn't helped me develop a relationship with you. And all it takes is you just to say yes to come back to God. That's why we're in this prayer. Is there anybody in this room who just wants to say, yes, I'm coming back to God? Just put your hand straight up. I'll see it, but nobody else will. Just write up high. Yeah, Aaron, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. Great. Thank you. And to everybody else, I pray this spirit of exploration of adventure we look for the new resource of the presence of God in our lives. We don't stay in one place, but we are going to be looking this week to wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you say. And I pray in the old places that we used to, a new presence of God would appear. In our workplaces, in our family, in our homes, in our streets, we ask in Jesus' name.